Welcome back to the I Am Vinyl podcast. Once again, my name is Pete LaRussa, and now it's time to move on to part two of the I Am Vinyl podcast tribute to Rush and Neil Peart, as we're now going to head into another phase in Rush's discography that fans might call the keyboard years, from 1982 through 1987. A fair classification for sure, but let's not forget that Neil Peart also began adding electronic drums to his arsenal during this time period as well. While this era is not my favorite time period overall for Rush's music, this next album happens to be my favorite go-to album in their discography and has been for quite some time. I'm talking about Rush's ninth studio album, which was originally released on September 9th, 1982, entitled Signals. Once again, this is an album where I have chosen two tracks to play on this tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. The first track I'm going to play has been and will likely continue to be my all-time favorite song by Rush. Sometime in early 1991, after I'd received my first CD player in early 1990, I filled out one of those Columbia House cards to get 12 CDs for a penny. One of the choices I'd made, which took up two CD slots in this order, was the Chronicles two-disc compilation set, which would turn out to be the very first release by Rush that I would end up owning, and of which I still have to this day. I can recall listening to it for the first time, and by the time I had hit the song Subdivisions and heard those opening synths and the song progressed through the first verse and into the chorus, I can remember thinking that I had heard this song before, and had never realized it was by Rush. My guess is I either heard it from my older brother Vincent, or I had seen portions of the video a few times around the time of its original release on MTV or otherwise. I can then recall immediately adding the song to my latest mixtape that I had made at the time after I had acquired my new set of CDs from Columbia House. Even though it may not be their best album to most fans, and I myself would place 2112 above it overall, it will likely continue to be my go-to album by Rush for many years to come. As Rush fans are very well aware of, Subdivisions opens the album. So with all that being said, let's open this portion of our tribute show with the opening track from Signals, which is taken from the 200-gram vinyl reissue that was released on October 9th 2015. So without further ado, here is Subdivisions.
That was Subdivisions from the album Signals, which to this point is certified platinum and wouldn't see the same commercial success as Moving Pictures before it. And the next track I want to play from Signals is one of my personal favorites on the album and by Rush overall. It's a song which wasn't played live until their final tour, which was the critically acclaimed R40 tour from 2015. When I attended their show at Madison Square Garden on June 29, 2015, myself and all who attended were treated to a very rare live performance of the song Losing It, featuring Ben Mink on the electric violin, who had also played on the original studio track. Another live performance of this song would end up on the R40 Blu-ray and CD set, which was filmed and recorded in Toronto. So once again, from the 200-gram edition of Signals, here's the original studio version of Losing It.
That was Losing It from Signals, which will close out another album as we head into Rush's 10th studio album, Grace Under Pressure. Another platinum-certified album, which was originally released on April 12, 1984, and continued where Signals had left off in terms of overall sound and direction, and for me personally is their second-best album of the keyboard years for Rush. This would also be a turning point in Rush's music career, as longtime producer Terry Brown and the band mutually agreed to part ways after working on eight studio albums in a row together from 1975 to 1982. Citing that he felt Geddy Lee's newly found love and heavy use of keyboards on the Signals album was somewhat clashing with how he felt the band should sound. Mutually, the band and Terry Brown agreed there was a need for them to go their separate ways, as they'd simply outgrown each other on a creative level at the time. This album would also mark Neil Peart's inception and use of a padded electronic drum kit combined with one of his standard and monstrous drum kits, also altering the band's sound overall from here. As for who produced Grace Under Pressure, Rush would decide to work with Peter Henderson on this album. It was somewhat tough to pick a track from this album, as I had a handful of songs to choose from. Taken from the 200-gram vinyl reissue that was released on December 4, 2015, here's the second track on Grace Under Pressure, and the song is called After Image.
That was After Image from the 1984 album Grace Under Pressure. As we're going to jump ahead to 1985 to Rush's 11th studio album, Power Windows. Another platinum certified album, which was originally released on October 29th, 1985. Peter Henderson would not return to produce this album, as the band would hire Peter Collins to produce Power Windows. As with Grace Under Pressure before it, add a small handful of song options to choose from for this album. After listening to the tracks a few times while I was putting this show together, I've chosen to play Marathon from the 200-gram vinyl edition that was released on January 15th, 2016. So once again, without further ado, here is Marathon from Russia's 1985 platinum-selling album, Power Windows.
That was Marathon from the album Power Windows, as we'll now head into the last album of the keyboard years, entitled Hold Your Fire, which was Rush's 12th studio album that was originally released on September 8th, 1987, and once again saw Peter Collins in the producer's chair for their second studio album together. Unlike the three albums prior to Hold Your Fire, this album would go on to be certified gold rather than platinum as the three albums that preceded it. In all honesty, this has been my least favorite Rush album of their entire catalog, but I have grown to like it a bit more in recent years than I had in the past. The band has mentioned in interviews and documentaries that they knew it was time to move on from the heavy-laden keyboard era of Rush, which Getty Lee would jokingly note was a slightly tough decision for him to agree with 100%, given his fondness for implementing the use of keyboards heavily over four straight albums from 1982 through 1987. It would prove to be a great decision, as we'll eventually head into the next phase of Russia's discography. So, before we get to the next album, let's close this chapter of Russia's music legacy by playing the opening track taken from the 200-gram vinyl reissue of Hold Your Fire that was released on January 15, 2016. And the song is called Force 10.
Force 10 from the album Hold Your Fire, as we'll now move on to the next album, in which we'd see another new producer work with Rush for the first time after two straight albums with Peter Collins in the producer's chair. Rush would also decide not to renew their record deal with Mercury Records and would instead sign a new record deal with Atlantic Records. For their 13th studio album, Presto, which was originally released on November 21st, 1989, Rush would work with producer Rupert Hine for the first time. This would mark another new chapter in Rush's music, as there would be less of a keyboard presence and a more concerted effort to bring the guitars back to prominence in the sound of Rush. This would prove to be met positively overall. This was another case where it was tough for me to choose only one track. I decided to go with a track in which there was a video released during the time of the album's original release. Taken from the 200-gram vinyl edition, released on October 23, 2015, here's the opening track on side two, and the song is called Super Conductor. Get you go. 
That was Superconductor from the album Presto, which will end the 1980s for Rush as we now head into the 1990s with their first album of the decade and which would turn out to be the very first Rush album I'd purchase after acquiring the Chronicles two-disc compilation on CD from Columbia House sometime in early 1991. The album I'm talking about is Rush's 14th studio album, Roll the Bones, which was originally released on September 3rd, 1991, and which I'd purchased on cassette. Once again, the band decided to work with producer Rupert Hine for a second time in a row. I can still recall listening to that cassette during my first few months of freshman year in high school while commuting on the bus and the train. Given its personal significance to me, I've chosen two tracks to play from this album on this tribute show. Taken from the 200 gram edition, which was released on October 23rd, 2015, the first one up is going to be the opening track on the album, and the song is called Dreamline. Red eye fix on the stars All along the highway She's got a liquid crystal compass A picture book of the rivers Under the Sahara They travel in the time of the prophets On the desert highway Got a star map of Hollywood, a list of cheap motels all along the freeway. She's got a sister out in Vegas, promise of a decent job, far away from her hometown. They travel on the road to redemption, highway out of yesterday, not tomorrow. One ring what I dream 
Dreamline, the opening track from the album Roll the Bones. And now for the second track in which I want to feature from this album, and in which carries some personal significance as to why I have chosen to make it a part of this tribute to Rush. Some random afternoon after I'd come home from school, and during one of the first few weeks I was in high school, I was watching MTV and heard a promo from one of the VJs saying that coming up would be the premiere of Rush's latest video, Roll the Bones. So I quickly grabbed a VHS tape that I knew had some space left on it and queued it up to record the video while seeing it for the very first time. As my closest friends know, I did this quite often during primetime hours and while watching Headbangers Ball on MTV. I likely still have this VHS tape in my archives to this day. While some fans were none too pleased with the infamous rap section penned by Neil Peart and as done by Getty Lee, with use of some great voice-altering techniques, I never had a problem with it and just found it to be fun and completely unexpected from Rush, which is exactly what they had in mind as they too wanted to once again step out of what fans expected from the band and try something new in which they hadn't done yet. It would go on to become a fun and humorous part of their live set in terms of the audio and visual combination from tour to tour when it was included in their live sets between 1991 and 2015. Seeing this video for the very first time on that day after school and then watching the video a few times afterwards off that VHS tape, I decided to buy the album on cassette shortly thereafter. So once again, Taken from the 200 gram edition of Roll the Bones, here's the title track in which would help propel the album to platinum selling status after two successive gold albums. It's indeed about that time. 
to Roll the Bones. You can stick that claim. Good work is the key to good fortune. Winners take that praise, losers help them take that blame. If they don't take that game, and sometimes the winner takes nothing, we draw our own designs. Fortune has to make that. It's a paradise. 
the title track from the album Roll the Bones, as we're now going to move on to Rush's 15th studio album, Counterparts, which was originally released on October 19th, 1993, and once again would see Peter Collins return to the producer's chair for their third studio album together, with the now well-known producer Kevin Caveman Shirley serving as the recording engineer on the album. Infamously noting how much he had to fight with Alex Lifeson, to lay off his signature guitar effects while trying to get his guitar tracks recorded. This album would be released on the same day as Pearl Jam's Verses, which would go on to set a first-week sales record at the time, selling over 950,000 copies, and Sepultura's highly anticipated follow-up to their Arise album, Chaos AD. Given our local and favorite record store at the time, Record Factory, was having a midnight sale for Pearl Jam's Versus album, a few friends and I decided to go and line up a few hours before midnight and ended up being a few of those first in line. I had already picked up Pearl Jam's Versus two days earlier on a Sunday morning at one of the Wiz stores in the area as they decided to begin selling it earlier to try to get ahead of the competition. But I wanted to buy Sepultura's Chaos AD and Rush's counterparts on CD as well. So I was there with the Verderame brothers, Frank, Andrea, and Jamie, as have been mentioned a bunch of times on this podcast. I'll never forget that feeling of finally getting home after the store had opened at midnight and after picking up the CDs and knowing that I couldn't rip open those CDs to listen to full blast because I had to go to sleep for school the next day. That next day of school definitely felt like an eternity to me wanting to get home and listen to those albums. This is another album in which I've chosen to play two tracks, given its personal significance and history behind it for me. This is the album and tour in which I would end up attending my first live Rush concert, along with Andrea Verderame. Though not officially dubbed as an R20 tour, being we attended this show on March 9, 1994 at Madison Square Garden, and that being 20 years from the release of their debut album in 1974, we've dubbed this concert to be an R20 tour. We would go on to attend more shows together, 
but more on that as we progress forward into later albums. So with that all being said, taken from the 200 gram edition that was released on November 6th, 2015, here's the first of two tracks that will be featured from this album, and it's the first single on the album, which was either met favorably by fans like myself and Andrea, and not met so favorably by some who felt the band were following popular music trends of the time, namely grunge, with its darker guitar tones and its main riff reflecting a sound of the times. A single in which also had a video to accompany it, which I can recall getting some decent airplay at the time on MTV. And the song is called Stick It Out!
was Stick It Out from Counterparts. And the second track I want to feature from this album is one of my personal favorites from the album in which would not be given a single release. Once again, taken from the 200 gram edition of Counterparts, here's a great track from the middle of the album and the song is called Alien Shore. Yeah. 
That was Alien Shore from Rush's album from 1993, Counterparts. The second and last track to be featured from that album, as we're now going to move on to Rush's 16th studio album, Test for Echo, which was originally released three years later on September 10th, 1996. As with Counterparts before it, Peter Collins would return to the producer's chair once again for their fourth studio album together. Taken from the 200 gram edition, which was released on November 6th, 2015, the track I've chosen to play is the second single from the album in which a video was also produced for. A song I consider to be one of Rush's best singles of the 90s and one in which would likely be highly relevant during today's times, if you listen closely to the lyrics penned by Neil Peart. And the song is called Half the World.
That was Half the World from Rush's album from 1996, Test for Echo, as once again we head into what would turn out to be another phase in the legacy of Rush. Unfortunately, tragedy would force a six-year gap between 1996's Test for Echo and the next studio album. After the end of the Test for Echo tour on August 10, 1997, Neil Peart's daughter, Selena, died in a tragic car accident. Then, as if that wasn't tragic enough, Neil Peart's wife, Jacqueline, would succumb to cancer 10 months later, on June 20th, 1998. It's been well documented the band had no other choice during this time to cease any and all band activity to allow Neil Peart to grieve as much and as long as he needed. Getty and Alex have said if the band had to end then and there, they would have been in full support of their longtime bandmate and friend if he no longer felt he could continue being in the band. After a well-documented time period in which Neil Peart set across on his own personal journey to various parts of the world by motorcycle in dealing with such tragic events, the band would return to work and release their 17th studio album, Vapor Trails on May 14, 2002. However, not all was perfect with the original release of Vapor Trails. As longtime fans are very well aware of, the original mix and mastering of Vapor Trails was not met favorably by most fans and the band itself. This would lead to the album being completely remixed and reissued as Vapor Trails Remixed on September 27, 2013. Producer Peter Collins would not return to the producer's chair after their six-year hiatus, as Test for Echo would prove to be his fourth and final studio album they'd work on together. The song I've chosen to play is from Vapor Trails Remixed, which was mixed by David Botrill, which was pressed onto a 2LP 180-gram set and it's the opening track on the album with an intro from Neil Peart that truly signifies that he and the band were back after their longest hiatus to date and in their entire history as a band. And the song is called One Little Victory.
That was One Little Victory from Vapor Trails Remixed. As it's time to move on to Rush's first EP release, which was originally released on June 29th, 2004, entitled Feedback. Produced by David Leonard, this EP is a showcase of cover songs by some of their favorite bands and influences from the 1960s in which they decided to record in between Vapor Trails and the next full-length studio album, which would be released a few years later. On a personal note, after this EP was released, Andrea Verderame and I would attend our second Rush concert together, the officially dubbed R30 tour, in which we attended at Radio City Music Hall on August 18th, 2004. With that all being said, taken from the 200-gram vinyl edition, which was released on January 8th, 2016, the track I've chosen is my favorite of the eight cover songs recorded on this EP, and it's a single from one of my all-time favorite bands, The Who, and the song is called The Seeker.
That was The Seeker from the All Covers EP from 2004, Feedback. And next up is Rush's 18th studio album, Snakes and Arrows, which was originally released three years later from the Feedback EP on May 1st, 2007, and five years after their last full-length LP, Vapor Trails. Once again, Rush would decide to work with another producer for the very first time, Nick Raskalinix, who'd previously worked on a couple of highly successful albums with the Foo Fighters between 2002 and 2005. Taken from the 200 Gram edition, which was released on January 8, 2016, the track I've chosen to play has been my favorite from the album ever since its original release. And it's the opening track, Far Cry.
That was Far Cry from Snakes and Arrows, as we're nearing the end of this tribute episode with Rush's 19th and final studio album, a concept album called Clockwork Angels, which to me is one of the heaviest albums overall ever recorded by Rush. Once again, produced by Nick Raskalinix, the album would be released five years after Snakes and Arrows on June 12, 2012. This album would also mark another change as Rush were no longer under a recording contract with Atlantic Records after over 22 years as of 2011's Time Machine 2011 live in Cleveland as they were now signed to Roadrunner Records which if you would have told me between 1991 and 1996 that Rush would end up on Roadrunner Records given its roster of bands during that time, I certainly would have said, no way that's ever going to happen. But the label had changed its overall focus long before after Warner Music Group became involved in a working relationship with Roadrunner Records beginning in December of 2006 while still maintaining and releasing much of their catalog of music they were most known for releasing from the label's inception and through the late 80s and through much of the 90s. Clockwork Angels would go on to become my favorite album of 2012. So it's fitting that I choose two tracks to represent their final studio album in this case. The first track of two that I'm going to play as we near the end of this tribute show is taken from the 200 gram double LP vinyl pressing and the song is called Carnies.
That was Carnies from Rush's 19th and final studio album, Clockwork Angels, as it's now time for the final track of this tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. Another one of my favorites on the album, which is the second-to-last track on Clockwork Angels. Once again, taken from the 200-gram double LP pressing, here's a track with some of my favorite lyrics ever penned by Neil Peart, with the preceding short piece, B-U-T-B-2, to lead us in. Here is Wish Them Well.
That was Wish Them Well from Rush's 19th and final studio album, Clockwork Angels, as we've reached the end of the I Am Vinyl podcast tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. The band would officially retire following their R40 tour in 2015. Ever since the announcement of Neil Peart's death, and while I've been putting this tribute show together, I've been revisiting many of my Rush DVDs and Blu-rays of their concerts and their music videos and listening to the entire discography all the way through. The day it was announced by Rush that he'd passed away, besides listening to a few of my all-time favorite Rush albums, I also watched my R40 live Blu-ray to relive the final time I'd seen Rush live, which again was at Madison Square Garden on June 29, 2015, and attended with Andrea Verrame, our third and final time seeing Rush together after our dubbed R20 concert on the Counterparts Tour at Madison Square Garden on March 9, 1994, and are also attending the officially dubbed R30 tour 10 years later at Radio City Music Hall on August 18, 2004. Neil Peart's drum solo each time was, of course, always a huge highlight for me, being a drummer myself, and him having been one of many influences on my own playing. He and Rush's music have been a big part of my own musical journey as a music fan and as a musician. This tribute show will serve as my own personal thank you to the legacy of Neil Peart and the legacy of Rush. And I truly hope that any fellow Rush fans that have tuned in for the long duration of this show have enjoyed my perspective on the music of Rush and the music I've chosen to play. And lastly, I will close by saying, rest in peace, Neil Peart, and thank you for everything you gave us as fans of your music and your incredible drumming, all of which will continue to be enjoyed and influence countless others as the years move on. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the I Am Vinyl podcast. And as always, I encourage you all to please check out our other shows here at cnjradio.com, The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. So until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Vinyl podcast and our tribute to Rush and Neil Peart. And we'll see you next time for our next episode right here at cnjradio.com. Com, 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 com.